This is Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do seconds. immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations for ever seven and six, ever five Amen. four three two one let's pray as we come to God's word our loving heavenly father it is only by your power by your spirit working in us that we can begin to understand the the size of your love for us in Christ. And so we pray for that now, Father. We ask that you would work in us as we hear you speak and that you would change us as we understand more of what you've done for us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the the common struggles I think people have talked a lot about uh, in this coronavirus period has been the feeling of loneliness. Unsurprisingly, lockdown has led to people feeling isolated, cut off, uh, feeling like they have no one to talk to, no one to turn to. And actually, that's quite a common experience when it comes to any kind of suffering or or trial. Uh, Whether it's a global pandemic or, or a personal trauma, suffering can make us feel like we're on our own, like we're isolated. Sometimes suffering means we are quite literally on our own. That was the case for the Apostle Paul. As we've seen going through this letter, he writes to the Ephesians from prison. And so he is isolated, he's cut off. As much as he would love to go and talk to the Ephesians, to see them face to face, he can't. Paul's suffering means he's isolated, cut off from others. But crucially, as we're going to see today, Paul is isolated, but that doesn't mean he's on his own. Just look at what he says in verse 14 at the start of our passage. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. The wonderful reality for Christians is that that we're never on our own. As Paul explained back in chapter 1, we've been adopted by God. He is our Father, we are his children. We've been sealed by his spirit, and that means we are never alone. Wherever we are, whatever our situation, we can always come to God, come to our Father in heaven, and talk to him. Paul knew this, 
And so as he sits in his prison cell, thinking of his uh, Ephesian brothers and sisters, he does the most obvious, the best thing that he can do. He prays. He prays for them. He kneels down before his Father in heaven and he comes to him and he talks to him. Just as my children would come and talk to me, Paul goes to the creator of the universe and talks to him. And what does he ask? What does he pray? What does he ask God to do for the Ephesians? Maybe you spotted it as Basil read it for us. Paul prays that they would have God's power. It's there in verses 16 and 18. Paul prays for God's power. And specifically the power to do two things. And it's those two things that we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at this morning. So first, Paul prays for the power to be what God has made us. The power to be what God has made us. Just look at verse 16. Verse 16, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. If you think back to last week, we heard Paul make this pretty big claim about the church. He said, didn't he, that the church is going to display God's wisdom to the world. God's glory and grace will be seen through his people. The church is like God's trophy cabinet, we saw But you can imagine, can't you, the the Ephesian Christians hearing that on Sunday morning and thinking, yeah, really? Really, Paul, us? Little old Ephesus evangelical church gathered here? We are going to display God's wisdom to the world? How on earth are we meant to do that? It seems like a huge ask, like this impossible task for the Ephesians. And it would be an impossible task if they tried to do it alone. But Paul isn't saying that, is he? He's not praying that they would find some sort of inner strength or or resolve. He doesn't pray that they would come up with a brand new strategy for displaying God's wisdom to the world. No, No, he prays that they will be strengthened by God's power. Because he knows that the only way the church can be what God intends it to be is by God's power. How does God's power work in the lives of his people? Let's look at verse 16 again. Verse 16, Paul prays that God may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Back in chapter 1, verse 13, we saw that we receive God's spirit the very moment we believe the gospel. If you're a Christian, then God has come to live in you by his spirit. Christ is in you by his spirit. But that's only the beginning. Because having moved in, having taken up residence in your heart, well then the spirit begins to get to work. It's a little bit like when you get married, slowly but surely, the, the bachelor pad begins to change. It begins to reflect the, the personality, the, the character, the tastes and preferences of your new wife. That's what Paul is praying for here. He spent three chapters showing what God has already made us, what he's already done in us. 
And at the end of chapter two, he described us uh, as this new humanity, this holy temple, a dwelling place for God. By God's grace, that is what we are already. But here Paul is praying that God would give the Ephesians the power to be just that, to, to live it out. He prays, doesn't he, that, 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 they, that God would strengthen them in their inner being, that he would change them from the inside out. Or as he says in verse 17, that Christ would dwell in their hearts by faith. That Christ would come and, and redecorate and renovate so that they begin to be transformed and look more and more like Jesus. And he prays that, Paul prays that, because he knows that the more the church looks like Christ, the more it reflects Christ in the things it says and does, the more it will display God's wisdom to the world. The more it will be what God has made it to be. And so what does that mean for us today, this morning? How should we think about God's power at work in us? We'll just think about some of the challenges that you face at the moment. Think about those areas of your life that you know need redecorating. Maybe it's a, an ungodly habit. Something that you know you shouldn't do, but you just find yourself doing again and again and again. Maybe it's some part of your character, something you've resigned yourself to being. You find yourself just saying, well, that, that's just what I'm like. It's who I am. I can't change that. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Someone at church even that you just can't really stand being around. You can't get on with and you're not really sure that that's ever going to change. When we think about it, there's lots in us that needs changing, isn't there? And we find it hard to change. Sometimes we find it hard to even want to change. There's lots of things we find hard. But remember, Paul isn't some sort of self-help guru here. He's not, he's not just trying to motivate us to better ourselves in life. No, he, he prays for God's power to be at work in us. He prays to the God who has infinite riches, infinite resources. And he asks that out of those infinite resources, God would strengthen us by his power to change. And so whilst we might find change difficult, whilst we might be tempted to think this is just who I am, Paul says no. No. No, remember who is at work in you. Remember that change is always possible because you have the Spirit because Christ dwells in your heart by faith. So trust him. Trust him and pray for his power. Pray that, that God would strengthen you in your inner being so that you would have patience with the kids this week. Pray that he would work in you to make you a more loving, a more kind, a more generous husband. Pray that he would help you to, to persevere to keep going in lockdown. I pray that he would strengthen you to be able to put others first, their needs before your needs, and to love those that you find difficult. Pray that in his power, he would make you what you already are. So that's the first thing that Paul prays, 
for the power to be what God has made us. The second thing he prays is for the power to know what God has given us. Just look at verse 18 with me. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Again, God's love has been a big theme in these first three chapters, hasn't it? It was in love that God chose us before the creation of the world. It was because of his great love for us that God made us alive in Christ. And it's in love that we've been united together as this new humanity, God's people, the church. We are what we are because of God's love. And so in verse 18, Paul says, well, we've been rooted and established in love. But again, it doesn't stop there, does it? Because being rooted in something implies growth. And so just as a plant is rooted in soil and grows out of that, Paul wants the Ephesians to grow as they're rooted in God's love. But what does that growth involve? What kind of growth is is Paul praying for? Well, in verse 18, we see that it's the ability to grasp the size of the love that we have in Christ. To grasp Christ's love. And just look at the dimensions of that love. Uh, Paul says that it's a love that is wide. So wide that it includes people from all nations, all backgrounds, all cultures. That's what we saw back in chapter 2, isn't it? That it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, black or white, young or old, male or female, rich or poor. Christ's love is so wide that no one is beyond its reach. But there's more. Because it's also a love that is long. Unlike our love, which is so often temporary, so often fickle and faltering. Well, Christ has loved us since before the creation of the world. And he'll keep loving us into eternity. So do you know that, that if you're a Christian, Christ will never get bored of loving you? He won't get so fed up or disappointed with you that he'll stop loving you. No matter how many times we let him down, no how many times we fail to love him, Christ will not stop loving us. Because his love is permanent. It's steadfast. It goes on forever. It's wide, it's long and it's high. We often talk about how Christ's love takes away our sin, how it kind of wipes our slate clean. And that is wonderfully true, isn't it? Through the cross, Jesus removes our sin from us. He takes away our guilt so that we no longer face God's judgment and anger. But again, his love doesn't stop there. It doesn't just bring us to this kind of neutral position before God. Now, in him, we've been raised up. We've been seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. Because of his love, we have a a glorious future, an eternal inheritance. We are co-heirs with the king of the universe. And so as one person put it, Christ's love has lifted us from the gutter to the palace, from the depths of hell to the heights of heaven. It's a high and exalting love. 
And then finally, Christ's love is deep. The reason we can be lifted up is because Christ was brought low. Out of his love, Christ left his throne in heaven and entered our world as a, as a person, as a servant, a slave. And his love went even deeper than that because well, we see the true depths of his love as he hangs, beaten and bruised on a Roman cross. We see the depths of Christ's love as he dies for sinners like us. And so no wonder that Paul prays here for the power to grasp that love. It is beyond measure. Verse 19, it says, it surpasses knowledge. Which means that grasping Christ's love, well, that isn't something that we can just complete in the Christian life. It's not just another tick box exercise for us to do. We saw back in chapter 1, didn't we, that we'll spend the rest of our lives, the rest of eternity, knowing God better. And the same is true here. There will always be more of Christ's love for us to grasp, more for us to understand and appreciate and experience. Knowing Christ's love is not something we complete. And it's not something that we do by ourselves either. Verse 18, again, Paul prays that, you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. Christian growth is not a solo project, even in lockdown. And so if you're going to understand more of Christ's love, if you're going to grow as Christians, then, well, then you need others. We need others. We need the church, and the church needs us. Because it's as we meet together that well, that we get to understand more of Christ's love for us. We get to see more of Christ's love in the lives of his people. And so Paul prays that God would give the Ephesian church the power together to grasp the size of Christ's love. And he prays that so that, verse 19, they may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That seems like a, a slightly odd phrase on first reading, doesn't it? It's quite hard to make sense of. But remember what Paul said back in chapter 1, that the church is Christ's body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And so the church is already filled with Christ. We've already received the fullness of Christ as he dwells in us by his spirit. But Paul prays here that the Ephesians would would know, would experience and live out that fullness. As Don Carson put it, this is simply Paul praying that we would be what God has made us to be. Or that we would be spiritually mature, you might say. Which means that spiritual maturity, Christian maturity, is more than just intellectual understanding. Don Carson goes on to say this, Paul assumes that we cannot be as spiritually mature as we ought to be unless we receive power from God to grasp the limitless dimensions of the love of Christ. We may think we are mature Christians because of our theology, our education, our years of experience or our traditions. But Paul knows better. And so Paul prays for power. A power to grasp Christ's love, to know it 
to experience it in our lives and to be transformed by it. That's actually what he's going to go on to talk about in the second half of the letter. Living in the light of Christ's love. Becoming what God has already made us to be. And here he well, he simply knows that if we're going to do that, if we're going to make any sense or any progress in all that he's got to say in part two of the letter, if we're going to display God's wisdom and our lives are going to look more and more like Christ's, well, we're going to need God's power to do that. And so I think it's fair to say that Paul prays big prayers, doesn't he? He prays big prayers. There have been two in, in this letter and they've been massive. And I've been challenged this week as I've looked at this one in chapter three to think about the kind of things that I pray for myself, the kind of things I pray for for you, for for my church family. And I've got to say that it's not often that I pray this sort of prayer, not often that I pray this big. And as I thought about it, I think, I I suppose part of the reason for that is because I have a, a small view of God. You see, we tend to to limit our prayers according to what we think God can or can't do. Sometimes our prayers are small because deep down we believe in a small God. But that isn't the case for Paul. Paul prays big prayers because he believes in a really big God. Just look at how he ends in verse 20. He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Paul prays big prayers because he prays to a really big God. He prays to a God who he knows can do more than he can even begin to imagine. In his wildest dreams, Paul cannot come up with all the things that God could do. And so whilst it isn't wrong for us to pray for the small things, let's be sure not to limit God in our minds. Let's not imagine that there's anything that we can ask that is too big or too much for God to do. And let's remember that, that as we wake up tomorrow morning, as we head out into another week. We don't do it alone. Remember that God's power is at work in us. His power that enables us to understand and to reflect Christ's love together as the church. Let's pray that we would know that power and that we, the church, see see would bring glory to his name. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we want to pray with Paul this morning that you would give us your power, a power to grasp the enormity of Christ's love. Father, please help us to know it, help us to understand it, help us to experience it, and Father, to be changed by it. We ask that by your Spirit you would help us to love Christ more this week, and to look more like Christ in all that we do. And we ask it for your glory and in his name. Amen. Paul talks about the love of Christ that is 
beyond knowledge. And we're going to sing of that love now.